When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. Story time with G. Lemon and A. Collins, your local friendly cricket history weekend frivolity podcast in which we use the history of uh, the great game of cricket, TM, trademark. One of the first things I learned to do on a computer with the function key was how to make the trademark uh, symbol appear when without having to go into the little like wingdings menu. It's very useful. I still times. can't do that. I still can't put mm-hmm. the uh, accent on top of the E. I still can't. Yep. Uh, it's, Just it's function funny. function E on a on a Mac, and then then you add the letter that you want afterwards. Or you can I'll go- show you or, one or, or you Google it, and then you take it and copy and paste. Copy and paste it, which is pathetic, yeah. right? But that's what I do. <laughs> that is a very that's very strong boomer energy from you, Adam. <laughs> that's 
That's the version of taking a photo of the computer screen on your phone instead of just taking a screenshot to post something up, you know. (laughs) Getting the desk lamp involved to get the right lighting and then taking a badly angled glary almost <laughs> indecipherable yeah, t- taking, yeah, taking, yeah that's right S- sort of taking some photo off my screen then sending an abusive message to Lee Sales afterwards to really complete the boomer <laughs> but, I had to give a I, had, I, I, won't, I won't say whom because I love him and he's a listener to the show I think he's a patron as well but I had to send a, a message to a mate of mine this morning saying friend I love you but I suggest you delete your Lee Sales tweets from today in light of her piece just by just one man's opinion, but I think that mm-hmm. it might be a good idea not to align yourself with teardrop drip Twitter today. This is not the day to mm. be aligned to those fucking ferals who will ultimately cost us votes at the next election. I didn't put that bit in, but that's that's what I think. And he wrote back and kind of said, "Yeah, like, you're probably right. I'm not turning into a boomer, am I?" And I said, "You can arrest this. You can resist. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this way." <laughs> I'm not going to say that you're not, but and well, uh, it isn't too late. The point is, it isn't too late. If you Mm. are, if you are mindful of your flaws, you can you can Mm. can turn it around. And I think the fact that he was uh, mindful of the the alignment there was was astute on his part, which is why he's such Mm. a good operator. And before everybody gets all hashtag not all boomers on us. Boomerism is a state of mind. It's no longer generational. Absolutely, it's a, it's a way of being. Not, a- absolutely, not a- I've got a guy. I've got a reply guy of mine. He's a bit of a fuckwit, and um, he's young. Like I can tell from his display photo, he's young. But he's got strong boomer energy, mm. strong gammon boomer energy at probably age twenty six <laughs> or something like that. So yes, it's not about your age. It's about your mindset. It's about the way you see the world. All I ever think about when this comes up is that song that I don't remember where it came from that went around when I was a kid of six white boomers, snow white boomers <laughs> taking Father Christmas on his something run. I don't know. It was like an Australian version of a Christmas song, but six white boomers just coming your way at Christmas. And not the Australian so- basketball team. It's always been more diverse no. than that. Yeah, <laughs> a, great, a strong tradition of the Australian basketball team, the Australian men's basketball team, not not being uh, six white blokes. Anyway, well, I, I would say that Andrew Bogut has strong boomer energy. Well, we, no. well yeah. <laughs> have we have we told the story before how I grew up with Bogut? Probably have, haven't we? We've probably done that on the show. <laughs> We grew up in the same street, didn't we? So um, we used to get the bus to school together when we were a bit older. But uh, yeah, so we, we spent a lot of our childhoods together, Bogut and I. Um, so I'm not hugely surprised that things have played out the way that they've played out based on the you know some of the stuff you catch on Facebook these days I mean it doesn't shock me it doesn't stun me that he sees the world the way he sees the world anyway Uh, 3802 what a postcode A big fan of East West Link. That's the only thing I know about Andrew Bogut's <laughs> policies. It's really, it's really keen on that road that didn't get built. Really shitty that it didn't yeah. get built. Um, yeah. And he really stood by herd. He really stood by herd. Yeah. Matted most. He stood by herd. Um, Hashtag stamp. Yeah. Look, if if a man cannot inject a drug into his buttock twice a day to make himself look tanned and fit, <laughs> then what kind of country are we living in? What kind of country? I this is a country I- <laughs> where they make you take the vaccine and they won't let you inject the tanning drug into your butt twice a day. 
I noticed, Jeff, as you're talking, we're through Zoom again tonight, that there's like, I can see the uh, the cold air coming out or the, the warm air yeah. from your body, but into the cold. It, it, I just realised, by the way, that it's just ticked over 4.20am in Melbourne where you are. <laughs> so maybe you should light a blunt up to, to go with your, to go with your, uh, uh, to go with your, uh, with your vaccine or to go with your butt injection. <laughs> <laughs> you can really go full circle and embrace the time of night. I'm going to have a bird injection. Yeah, no, I'm going to keep a, a relatively clear head at f- past 4am, as you note, which is when we're recording this show for reasons. For, for <laughs> after, reasons. After doing eight hours on the county cricket blog on The Guardian, <laughs> this is where I go next. I've just put down, <laughs> I've just put Winnie to bed. I had to get her from nursery, as I told you before, because Rachel was at work. And it took me half an hour to walk, well, maybe not half an hour, maybe a quarter of an hour to walk her back to 200 metres from the, the nursery, Jeff, is where mm. the bridge is near my house, as you know, that bridge just yep. goes to the overground station. So, you know, we're talking, you know, if, if I hear the train coming, I can run and make it to the train type of thing from my front right. door. And yes, it was a quarter of an hour to get back because Winnie wanted to, wanted to walk and she wanted to touch every tree and she wanted to debate with me whether she could pick the berries off the tree and all the rest of it so uh-huh. uh, yeah and it was it was tough bath time tonight she just wanted to rumble so anyway she's asleep and now we're going to make some story time now we're going to make some story time she's had her story time we're going to have ours uh let's do it and let's do it via the mechanism of the game called non-shouting Nerd Pledge, Nerd Pledge. It is the game that we play with the lovely people on our Patreon page. Here's the deal. We have to fund this show somehow, and people, bless them, help us do it. They send us contributions to fund this show and the weekly show and all the other shows. And instead of sending us a normal number, a normal sort of amount of dollars or pounds or whatever it is, they send us a really specific number because that number relates to cricket in some way and we have to work out what the relationship is. First cab off the rank is Jimit Raja, who has sent through $3.99. It sounds like an offering from Dimmies and Forges. Three ninety nine. Uh <laughs> Appropriately so, given we're at that time of September where Dipper did his finest work. <laughs> Jimmit says, you don't have to send a clue, but you can. Jimmit did. He says, um, it's about the first ever from a country. It's not an individual performance, but a collective one and a forgettable one at that. So three ninety nine, a collective performance. I left this one to Adam to yeah. express himself. To start us off, where did you go? Well, I, I thought... I thought about. I first went down the route of forgetfulness and and um, and thought about the WG Grace when he made himself get a, a quadruple hundred. Have you heard that story when he's on three ninety nine? No. So he's he's on this. Uh, you know, How have I not heard this story? In his pomp, in his absolute pomp, he, he's on a touring team in eighteen seventy six. You know, going around England taking bags uh-huh. of bags of wickets. That I mean, they'd play twenty players against Grace's team, and he would take like fourteen for. And then he'd go out and make a hundred, and it was kind of a bit of a Harlem Globetrotters type mm. thing uh, at that, you know, in that era when he right. when because he was playing against a, a team of blacksmiths who'd like hammered their legs off by mistake or something. That's it. it. Like whichever rando dudes from the village wanted to come out and have a hit against the great man. That's it. And they got to Grimsby, uh, which turned at a club side. And Grace uh-huh. got given. I was reading Abhishek Mukherjee's write up of this, which is quite funny on Cricket Country. He gets given not out by the local umpire on the six because, like, the attitude being, well, you know, 
best that we let Grace keep batting. Goes on to make yeah. 399, eventually gets out a day later, walks off the field, consults the scorer, realises he's one short of 400 and says to the scorer, make it 400. And the scorer says, you deserve it. And adds an extra single on his score. <laughs> I mean, non-first class, of course, but, you know, yeah. it, it was what it was. But that, that didn't quite... So, yeah, Amazed thought, that didn't get first-class status, yeah. though. <laughs> it's with some of the absolute dross they put <laughs> yeah, in. Oh, yeah, yeah, first class, yeah. Playing against 20 blacksmiths <laughs> from Harrow. Yeah, first-class status for that. Um, yeah, you, in some respects, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that these games didn't have first-class status. They were called the uh, United South, that team that, that Grace was leading. Alas... I thought, you know, the forgetful bit, the one run. It just maybe. sounds like an, an EDL feeder sort of yeah. organisation now. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be back. But that's not a team achievement. So I thought, what's a really forgetful team achievement? And thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. Then I remembered that a couple of years ago when in Zimbabwe, just after I left, Pakistan played 5-1 days. And looking yeah. into it. In the fourth of five one days, they made 399 for one at Bulawayo. Oh, yeah. Which, to that point, was their highest score in one day. So an individual, in terms of a, a collective performance, their highest score in one day internationals. In the process, yeah. Imam Al-Haq and Fakazaman added 304 for the first wicket, which is the highest ever opening partnership and the highest ever partnership, I think it is, in limited overs international cricket. Uh, so for, uh, there might have been a higher opening stand in women's one days, Jeff. I think there might have been. But certainly for men, yeah. for men 304, it's the it's the high watermark. Probably one of the New Zealand Island games where they made 500 a couple of times. Yeah, I've just, I've just got a sneaking Kerr suspicion there might be a higher partnership than that. Anyway, so that partnership's broken in the 42nd over. And I just kind of think, what an underwhelming, forgetful performance this is. Pakistan have never made 400 in one-day cricket. Fucking everybody's made 400 in one-day cricket now, but not Pakistan. And even though they had a 305-run opening stand, even though they won the game by 244 runs, which is the 11th highest victory margin of all time, it's all Mm -hmm. a bit meh. It's all a bit so what. They win the one day as 5-0 after winning the Tri-Series. The Tri-Series meant more because they were, at the time, playing against Australia, not playing against the depleted Zimbabwean team. Fakazaman made 210 not out from 156 balls. Go harder. Make it to 400. I mean, sure, there's a, an unbeaten 50 not out from 22 balls by Asif Ali. Make it 51. Get to 400. Give us something to really think about. Don't fall one fucking run short. So, anyway, altogether underwhelming. And maybe Matthew Hayden, uh, in, his, in his tenure as Pakistan coach, can get them to 400, I pondered. Just adding to adding a little bit more meat to the bones here. So, high just, score. For- just when he shows up wearing his Akubra with the cricket. Pakistan logo on the front. <laughs> that's just gonna. We've got to get one. We've got to get one. We've got to get one. Since recording, I mean, I, I thought we should do an emergency episode today when Cameroon executed another man cat. As hyper's yeah. hypercourse pointed out on social media, they've now had five successful and two unsuccessful attempts at man catting in twenty nine. In their overs. second match, yeah. <laughs> at that stage, in twenty nine overs of being an international team, I sent a tweet to the Cameroon, and, and it wasn't it wasn't Maeve Duma this time around. No, it's it was one another, of the teammates. And she she made a duck. So she made one run in the first game, Maeve, and 
a duck in the second. So after two hits in international cricket, she's got more run-outs at the non-strikers end than she does runs. <laughs> this is like that's a beyond very, Jody Hicks area. Yeah, I was gonna, that's a very special category. You've, you've executed more man-cads and you've made runs. I should say, by the way, I'm pretty sure it's Maver. Maver Duma. I think it's got an I've A I've seen on it the spelled end. both ways. Oh, right. I, I don't know which way to go. I've okay. seen it spelled with an E and with an A at the okay. end. So, well, um, we'll I'm, I'm not sure. That. We'll also, have to get her on the show at some point because I, I did tweet at the Cricket Cameroon account. It's got one mm. follower and follows one person asking for a replica shirt. So either they'll get me a replica shirt and it's a, it's a legit mm. account or we might have to get some tats or, or make our own or maybe yep. Cameroon football shirts. We've got... Mm-hmm. Tilo Thob, who's playing in the uh, vaccine game, which probably is being played as this episode drops. He's got a Cameroon football top and he's going to wear it at the vaccine game on Friday as a sign of respect to the Cameroon women's cricket team and the work they put on this week. I I should also mention, just uh, since Jodie Hicks came up, hot correspondence from Jodie Hicks correspondent John (laughs) O'Halan. She's not going around again. She's not going to be bash deal for this summer. No more, no more Jodie Hicks. Didn't she? I thought she signed a deal before the end of the season. John O would know. John O would know. John O knows. John O knows. That's a real shame. The reason I was talking about emergency. I hope she gets picked up by someone else. The Hobart Hurricanes, they're dross. They could use (laughs) Jodie. Tell us a story about the Hurricanes, the team the authorities came to blame. Here's the thing I I would say that um, Cameroon Cricket deserves an emergency podcast. Probably Jodie Hicks does too now. You've brought it to my Mm -hmm. attention. We should get Matthew Hayden and a Cobra hat with the Pakistan logo on it. We should send it to him. We should maybe get him on the show. That could be an emergency <laughs> podcast. I'm sure someone at Pakistan Cricket who remembers us fondly from a few years ago would help pull that off, you know. I don't think Matthew Hayden – I know him a little bit, like as in I've dealt with him a couple of times, but he probably wouldn't really know who I am. And I, and I can relay that anecdote to him when I was sent to Queensland, commissioned to go to Queensland to see whether he'd be willing to run for a marginal seat. I can have that conversation with him and see whether he mm-hmm. remembers any of that. Probably doesn't, but – I think we just need to get someone at the PCB who's friendly to tell him that it's a stipulation of the contract that he has to wear this hat, you know? We He's not going to check. We He's could, not going to have read the fine print. We could His agent's not going to tell him, he'll, you know, <laughs> and you probably don't need to make him do it. If, if there's an Akubra there that he could wear, he'll wear it. You fucking beauty. If, <laughs> if, if you're wondering about 400s in one-day cricket, it's been breached 20 times. And they've all happened since the 434-438 game, which presumably Haydos mm-hmm. was playing in. England have the record. No, he would, would he have been at that era? I uh, reckon he was, still was I playing one-day cricket. it's a bit early cricket. for him. No, no, no. Oh, it's definitely not too he, early. He was playing one-day cricket all the way from 2000 to 2007. No, he was playing. Hayden was definitely playing. He, he didn't he, get punted. He wasn't in that one-day team for a while. He missed out for a few years, and then he got back in later as more of a an older, more mature player when he came back in and, like, I don't know, I've... I don't even know that he was playing in that team in 05 in England. I think he was... Yeah, he was. He was caught by Paul Collingwood at Backward Point, wasn't he? he? Wasn't that the Collingwood dismissals, Matthew Hayden? My gut feel is that Hayden was there. But even if he wasn't, his era um, was when the 400 started getting scored. So 434, 438, that was the first two times. only 15 years ago. Uh, So England have the first and second uh, on the ladder, 481, uh, that Australia game that I was at. Back in 2018, 444, 2016, same ground, Trent Bridge. Interestingly, though, the team that's done it most is a shit team in the last 15 years for the most part. South Africa, they've done it six times. And Australia twice, their own 
434 that I mentioned before and the 417 and the against Afghanistan at the Wacker yeah. in the 2015 World Cup. So, <laughs> so Warner took out that kid in the stats. He did. He did. And Maxi made about 60 and about 20 balls at the end. Maxi made 82 of 40 balls, something like yeah, that. Yeah, feels about right. So Jamit Raja, I wonder whether you are talking about the day that Pakistan made 399 for one in a thoroughly unremarkable performance when Fakir mm-hmm. Zaman made 210 not out from 156. I reckon you might be. Maybe you did. It's good that we've done 20 minutes of the show and we've got through one number. So really, <laughs> <laughs> really kicking At this time of night. Um, right. That is Jim at Raja. Christopher Stock, next cab. Uh, no clue here. So it's an open field. Okay. The number is $3.25. 325 which... Initially, I did think David Clarence Boone, cap number 325 for Australia, mm-hmm. but I know we've discussed DCB at some length before. So, Christopher, if you want me to talk about David Clarence, let me know, and I will. But um, I thought given I've spent 16 of the last 48 hours watching county cricket and telling people about it, and given that it happened today where six of the games were rained off and didn't get a single ball bowled. <laughs> One of them was um, a 10-wicket win that happened within about an hour of the start of play <laughs> and I had two matches to watch <laughs> to spin out an entire day's work as, uh, as, as two teams in Division 1, all well, four teams in Division 1, all tussled for the top two spots to play off for the Bob Willis Trophy. Did Hampshire win? I thought it was, no, uh, were, Hampshire won. Hampshire yeah, won. Hampshire yeah. bowled out knots yeah. for bugger all. So they've gone top. And Lancashire have gone second because can Lancs still win it? Can Lancs still can Lancs yeah. still finish top? They've been, uh, well, they've, been my, they've been my favourite team all year, and obviously Yorkshire. Hang on, Yorkshire got their Yorkshire. result last week and didn't get a result this week. Oh no, they're playing tomorrow. Yorkshire will continue playing tomorrow, but they're fucked. They're in a right. very bad position against whoever the other team are that I can't mm-hmm. remember. Warwickshire. Uh, uh, there are too many shires. Fundamentally, too many, too shires, many shires on the dance Too many shires. Yeah. You know, like, I could deal with the 18 teams if they had different sounding names. It's such a relief when you get to Kent and you're like, just Kent, just Kent. It's short, it's one syllable, it's it's strong, it's staunch. Why does everyone need Shire at the end? I know you're Shires. You're from England. Yes, they're Shires. We get it, but it's too long. Blah, 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 Shire. Come on, just chop the Shires off. I'll deal with the teams, just lose the Shires. Anyway... Bob Willis Trophy, that's where I was at. Right. And the reason I bring that up is because Bob Willis took 325 test wickets. He did. That's correct. Which which was the best for a fast bowler, aside from Lily, around that time. And I think it's notable that in an era where we marvel at Stuart Broad and James Anderson for playing more than 100 tests as fast bowlers, it's sort of easy to forget that Bob Willis played 90. Mm. Played 90 test matches starting in 1971 through to 84, you know, an era where there wasn't a lot of support in terms of fitness and physiotherapy and all that stuff. He buggered his knees up. He had operations on both his knees. He was, you know, running in on made-up legs that were pretty much just a bunch of shit that he found in the garden shed and hammered together with, wrapped a bit of tape around them and somehow kept running in and bowled through 90 test matches. I mean, it's it's an extraordinary achievement. And I, I kind of like Bob Willis because he was a grumpy bastard and, you know, for someone of of my frame of mind sometimes where you just want to sit there and 
Lance annoying things in the world. He seemed to do quite a bit of that. You know, mm-hmm. you could imagine him just sitting on a bench and finding something to complain about, about whatever happened by in front of him. And I quite enjoyed that. But I don't know. I find I find the, the sort of position of Bob Willis interesting in, in English cricket because he was known as this sort of cantankerous persona, but he wasn't really. Like, he was he was quite kindly and and uh, positive, I suppose, outside his public persona, at least as far as the, the people who know him, uh, the way they spoke about him when he died not that long ago. And the fact that he got the trophy named after him shows you the sort of esteem in which he was held. He, he ended up being someone whose public position as a commentator for all those years was much more important in the end than what he did in his playing career, even though his playing career was outstanding. Yep. Ashes winning captain uh, in 82-83. Uh, of course, the Headingley miracle of Mark 1 in 1981. He's 8 for 43. Uh, you're right. I mean, I didn't know Bob Willis, but certainly the people who uh, he was close to, who I work with a little bit now, I mean, they're constantly referring to Bob. Uh, and mm. last year I did the Bob Willis Trophy final, which was a Sky production too. And, um, you know, the players that – well, the commentators, sorry, who, who played for England but worked with Bob – Telling those anecdotes and, and as they did this year at Bob Willis Day uh, at Edgbaston during the Pakistan one day, as I think it was. It's going to be an annual function at, at Warwickshire. The county replayed the vast majority of his cricket. So, yeah, I think that um, that, that there was definitely a, a, an element of him playing a role uh, on the verdict with Charles Colville and that was fun and ridiculous and brilliant and a nice way for him to finish a, a long and distinguished broadcasting career and uh, an enormous contribution to the game over five decades. I particularly liked the anecdote that when he was 16, he went off and legally changed his name mm. and added, made his middle name Dylan because he loved Bob Dylan so that he could be Bob Dylan Willis. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's not quite getting a, a Cameroon tattoo, but it's it's well, great I, that he's I think, followed well, through. It, it holds up, doesn't it? Getting a Dylan put into your name at 16, I mean, I think, but what would have I put into my name at age 16? I mean, I'm probably yeah. putting in Dunstall. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think Bob Dylan holds up better Adam than... Adam Angry Anderson Collins. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Jason Hadfield Dunstall Collins has a bit of a ring to it. Um, but I'm glad we didn't go down that path. <laughs> but, you know, uh, RGD Willis, it just, you know, I've got three initials, he's got three initials. If you're going to add an initial, add a good one. And Dylan uh, feels right. So I, I hope that that's Christopher Stock's number. I suspect it probably is because that's certainly the most striking 325 in cricket. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> just all I'm doing now is thinking about different middle name alternatives that. <laughs> That could have happened over the years. <laughs> like, God, the things that people are obsessed with when they're teenagers. Like, just making your middle name Jason Donovan or something. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, it's one of my... F- <laughs> I just I just remembered one of my favourite ever, ever headlines when um, Jason Donovan was on a show about medical lawyers or something and it was called MDA, MDA. It was like, yeah. um, <laughs> you know medical doctor something something and it was a career comeback and he hadn't been acting for a decade or whatever it was and some people may not know but M- MDA is a, an, an isomer variant of MDMA it's like another form of ecstasy and the TV week headline was it's been 10 years but Jason Donovan is back on MDA <laughs> 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 like, oh 
Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. So, Christopher Stock, if Bob Willis is your number, let us know. If he's not, let us know. Uh, Michael Fallon, next up, $10.45 the number. What did you make of ten forty-five? Okay, so $10.45. Uh, my first thought was let's, let's do wickets and runs. Let's do 10 for 45, remembering that I'd been at a test match where 10 for 45 was taken back in 2016. I wrote about James Anderson taking 10 for 45, routing the Sri Lankans up at Headingley through the course of three just dominant days. Jimmy, just, you know, you've been there, Jeff. You've seen it. You know exactly what James Anderson did. Even if you didn't watch that test match, I don't really need mm-hmm. to add to that because you've you've seen that one play yeah. out so many times, right? He, he, I can copy-paste that from another yeah. version. I mean, I think, yeah. I think nine of them were caught behind the wicket. It was as Jimmy as Jimmy can be. <laughs> but... Um, I, upon looking at um, the, an archive that I like to dig into from time to time, I saw that it, it's been taken twice in first-class cricket, as in innings figures of 10 for 45. It's pretty well, rare that, that, that there's 10 wickets in an innings, but 10 for 45 has happened twice. And as it turns out, one of those instances is from a season that we were talking about on Storytime just last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago because Norky was mm. with you last week. But in my most recent Storytime appearance. I talked about John Carr and the season of 1994 when he led mm-hmm. Brian Lara uh, in the first class batting averages on account of, the, of an incredible string of not out scores at the end of the season to end up with an average of 90.7 compared to Lara's 88.9, whatever, despite the fact that Lara had made 2,066 runs for the season. <laughs> he didn't finish in top spot. Well, in the game where 10 for 45 was taken, John Carr, of course, made 108 not out. Was part of that string in September, mm-hmm. right at the end of that season against uh, against. Uh, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll build to this. So I assume he was playing for the team that had the bowler that took the 10 for 45. That would be correct. That would be correct. Right. But it's not. He was. If he made 108 while the other guy was team. taking 10 for 45, <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> no, not quite. Although, although uh, it wasn't a one-sided game. A quick diversion. This bowler uh, is a chap by the name of Richard Johnson, and you're going to remember a fair bit about Richard Johnson as we get into this, Jeff, I'm sure. But he was the third Middlesex player to, to take all 10. The first, the first, just a bloke by the name of Albert Trot, twats ah. the ball over the pavilion in 1899, threw a kettle over the pub. Then in 1900, returned to Lords, well, actually went down to Taunton for Middlesex and took 10 for 42, if you don't mind. And then a quarter of a century on from that, as Norcross would say, the quizzling traitor, Gubby Allen, took 10 for 40 against Lanks in 1925. So it happened twice before. Then you press fast forward to 1994 at Derbyshire, who batted first and did well. They made 344. No dramas there. One wicket for Johnson. But their Middlesex pile on the runs. They make 545. The aforementioned unbeaten ton for Kazi. Gat and Ramps both made centuries as well. Had a lovely chat with Ramps uh, the other week when he was um, doing his thing up at the Oval. Uh, mm-hmm. Second time around, Derbyshire, uh, their captain who'd made 100 uh, in the first innings, Kim Barnett, was out in the first over of the second innings to a short wide one. And Johnson was away. Press fast forward a couple of hours and a couple of ice packs on his knee later and out walks Devin Malcolm at number 11. And he's fucked, by the way. Johnson's like, my body is knackered. I shouldn't be bowling at the moment. But his teammates are like, mate, you just got to keep you going. You got to get a 10 You, you got to keep, I mean, you're not going to get a chance to do this again. And he's a pretty young bowler at this point, but he's fairly injury prone. And then he does it. He said he bowled his very best delivery of the whole match to find the outside edge. It wasn't Malcolm. Malcolm was not out man, but still 10 for 45 from 18.5 overs. Now, 
He ends up playing for England, but nine years later, he had this huge season, um, you know, uh, in, in many ways in 94, not only the tenfer, but he was also the guy who broke Lara's run of centuries earlier in the year. Mm. So Lara made, was it five? He made five trot? in a row, and I think it was eight in 11 innings, something like that. Well, this was the 600, or what would have been mm. the 600 against Middlesex, but Johnson said no. Uh, so he gets himself in the England squad by 1995, but his back goes, so he can't play in South Africa. He's back in for the 2001 Ashes, but doesn't get picked. Then he goes down to Somerset and plays for them in 2003, and that's when he's picked against Zimbabwe in 2003, which is the series that we remember for James Anderson bursting onto the scene. But Johnson did as well. In the second test, he picks up six for 33 on Taboo, and unfortunately his knee's knackered again, and, and, and he doesn't play another game uh, across that summer. Then he gets another Fifer in his second test match playing in Bangladesh. All up, he only plays three test matches and takes 16 wickets at 17. So he's super unlucky not to play mm. uh, more test cricket. You know, he, he took you know, over 500 first-class wickets and had a really good one-day international record as well. Went back to Middlesex in 2010 after his playing retirement and was a bowling coach for eight years. And I like this little twist at the end, by the way. Under his tutelage as bowling coach, mm-hmm. there were two ninefers, Stephen Finn, nine for 37 against Worcestershire in 2010, and James Harris, nine for 34 against Durham in 2015. And Jeff, as you would have seen when doing the Guardian blog yesterday, there was quite an emotional send off at Lords yesterday to both Stephen Finn and James Harris as they said goodbye to the club, with Finney off to Sussex next year and James Harris back to Glamorgan, uh, where he started his career. He's going to end his career back in Wales. So there was this nice little ceremony on right. the ground and, and all the rest of it. But they didn't take 10. They both I took knifers, but they didn't do what that old bowling coach was able huh. to do at Derbyshire. Richard Johnson, some 27 years ago, 10 for 45. Taking all 10. It's a tough gig. I was watching Keith Barker yesterday what a bowling man. for what a man. Hampshire. Yep. Coming in with his left armers, and he took the first seven to fall, just one after the other after the other. Nick. Nick, swing in, LBW. Yeah, his oh. career best. He'd, ne- he'd never taken seven, but he took the first seven off off the reel and then they really wanted him. Like, they just kept bowling him till he was knackered because they're like, come on, get the 10. Got to do, do it. Event- and, and he, and Eventually got- he had to go for a rest and, and uh, someone else took the, the eighth and away they went. Yeah, despite being a former a professional footballer, he was a striker, Keith Barker. And he's not these days built for running around for 20 overs on the reel. His godfather is uh, Clive Lloyd. Um, Mm. Keith Barker and I was doing a game of his last year where he took his 400th first class wicket and made his 4,000th first class run in the same match and ended up being a a match winning 50 odd at the end to beat Middlesex out at Radlett so quite the all rounder Mm -hmm. so that is my uh, contribution for 10.45 thank you Michael Fallon that's a wonderful contribution from you as well most appreciated and uh, the next one is a very similar number and you were insistent that you had to do these two numbers in a row so I've, I've this is going to happen. Ten dollars fifty-three, right? So the first one was ten forty-five. The second one, we're just bumping it by eight cents in the auction. Ten dollars fifty-three from James Melanson, longtime correspondent of the show. Ten fifty-three. What did you do with it? Well, it actually was the next number. That isn't me tinkering with the order here. Ten forty-five was followed by ten fifty-three, and I thought, let's stick with a good thing. We've got the ten for forty-five. Let's find the ten for fifty-three. Of course, ten for fifty-three. Jim Laker. The Laker match uh, against Australia mm. in, in uh, oh. J- July 1956. 
and we, you know, we kind of often talk about the Laker match and the, and the 19 for 90, but we don't really kind of ever, ever sort of step back from it and think about the context and so on. It, you know, it was one all going into the fourth test match at Old Trafford. I know, Jeff, at our live show, we went through this a couple of years ago up at Woodhouse's Cricket Club in Manchester. Yeah. But, you know, Ian Johnson's side won at Lords, which Australia always did uh, back then, thanks to a sort of match-winning 97 from Benno and 10 wickets from Miller, and then England win by an innings at Leeds. So... That, though, was the sign of things to come. So it leads. England win by an innings. Laker, 11 wickets. Locke, 7 wickets. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Like, they've kind of worked mm. out. They've, they've cracked the code of how to mess with these Australian tourists. Bullshit loads of spin. So they go to Manchester. They've exposed the weakness. And the Aussies are immediately shitty that there's no grass on the pitch, not a blade of grass on the pitch. Oh. They've effectively prepared a dust bowl for their, for their two tweakers with Laker in sort of career-best form. So much mm-hmm. experience playing against Australia back in in, uh, in 48 uh, and then again in, in 53. So It's lucky the English press never complain when they go, have to play anywhere in Asia and the ball turns. Yes, yes, that's right. So England bat first to make 459, if you don't mind. Reverend David Shepherd makes a century, Peter Richardson as well. Australia start pretty well in reply. They're 48 for none with Colin McDonald and Jim Burke, but then all hell breaks loose. They lose all 10 wickets for 38, uh, with Laker taking 9 for 37 from 16.4. Of course they make Australia follow on. And again, they, they start okay. They're 53 for one overnight. And, and Cole McDonald, to his immense credit, goes on to make 89. There's a couple of days of rain in the mix there, but he's the only one that could handle that sort of sharp turn. And the thing with Laker is that he starts his life in Yorkshire, goes away to war, albeit sort of not at the front, but like he's in the military for the vast majority mm-hmm. of the war. He's deployed to, to, uh, to Egypt. And that's when he, on these um, coconut mats, he... he mm-hmm basically teaches himself how to spin the ball hard. And when he returns to England after the war, that's his, that's his biggest trick, and he moves to Surrey mm. and, and takes off from there. But, yeah, the carnage of the second innings, we know the figures, 10 for 53. From 51.2 overs, by the way, so he did sort of earn his wickets. That's not as though he's taken – you know, he's, not, he's done it in one spell, but he's bowled all day to do it. He's done it over three days. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's Murley style. Murley style, know, that's just right. bowl until you get them all out. Yeah, Len Maddox is the last wicket the leg before, and that's a moment in history. I, I didn't realise that it was late on the fifth day. I thought they'd wrapped it up well before then, but, yeah, because of the rain and the rest day, but he mm. got there with 45 minutes to spare or something like that with Richie Benno notes in, in wisdom that, like, this great moment in, in cricketing history nearly didn't happen. They didn't, you know, it could have easily ended up him taking seven or eight, but instead it was 19 for 90, which is the best ever figures in test or first-class cricket, of course. 46 at 9.6 across the series, which is the, the best ever in an Ashes five-test match series. I don't think that Tony Locke ever quite got over it either, really, that he only took one of the 20 wickets that were on offer uh, that week, mm. but they did have a stand named after them at the Oval until last year, so they've always been kind of um, <laughs> thought of as peas in a pod. I guess even more impressive because Laker had played in 48. Like he was part of the carnage. He was bowling that day at Leeds when Bradman and, and Hassett and, and Morris, sorry, and... Uh, and uh, and Harvey and Co. Well, Harvey less so, but the others uh, trounced. You know, England chasing down four hundred and four on the last day. But yeah, he and Locke dominated for Surrey through the fifties. And interestingly, Jeff, when he finished his career, his MCC and Surrey membership taken away from him uh, for being uh, for writing a really punchy book called Over to Me, where he basically just tore shreds off the. Um, players, the, the amateur professional system. He was 
right. a, a strong believer that it was utter bullshit. So anyone that forms that view is a, is a friend of mine uh, in Jim Laker, <laughs> a good Yorkshireman in that respect, I suppose, and that he didn't, he didn't mind saying what he thought. Went on, of course, to become an iconic television broadcaster with Richie Benno uh, for years and years at the BBC. Uh, he took 193 test wickets at 21 in 46 test matches, took nearly 2,000 first-class wickets. But yes, there'll always be the Laker match, what he was always known for uh, until the end of his life in 1986 when he, when he passed away at age 64. And the 10 for 53 uh, contributed to that 19 for 90. So let's go with that. How, how, how have I done there, James? Let's go with that, James Mallinson. Uh, and additionally, as well as getting your question answered, the hat says that you get to give away a slab of the finest, yes. crispest ales or lagers of your choice from Brick Lane. They make the beer. We let people give it away for free. Why not? It's a good thing to do. I like this position because there's absolutely nothing to lose. It's all upside. They want to give away beer. We get to help doing it, help do it, and uh, and here we are. So, James, you uh, you will be able to give this to a person in Australia. Could be you, could be someone else, depending where you are. Um, we will be in touch with you to let you know how that happens and how it works at bricklanebrewing.com if you want to check out. The delicious range from BLB. The Brick Lane Brewing community. I like that we're part of a community. I like the fact that they do the right thing. They make the stuff in Dandenong, where I'm from, with produce from Victoria for the most part. Mm. They're mindful of their carbon footprint uh, and their water usage and all the rest of it. I mean, they really do. Any crossover with Andrew Bogut, you know, sort of grew up in that area. Well, Andrew um, Bogut did go to school in Dandenong. Well, I suppose it was Dalton yeah. technically. Uh, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all from that corner of Melbourne. But maybe we could get Andrew Bogut drinking at Brick Lane and, and all can be forgiven for his um, outrageous mm-hmm. tweets. Who's to know? Um, <laughs> it, it would take a fair bit. Truth, truth told. <laughs> but we've always got that postcode in common. But yes, Brick Lane, follow their social accounts. Buy one of their beers or buy many of their beers and tag us in, tag them in. Spread the love. That's what we're all mm. about here on the show. And it's great to have them on board with us through the year. Jeremy Nash, next number, $6.67. Probably £6.67, I think. Jeremy Nash loves a, um, loves a complex one. Loves a, a historical one, likes to get back in, in England history. Okay, and there's a clue. Of course there's a clue because of all of that. This looks like it could have been the start of something special, but it was immediately put into the shade by a spot of jiggery pokery. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that clue before reading that clue. Jiggery I love pokery. That phrasing. Jiggery pokery. Are you not familiar with jiggery pokery? Is that a euphemism for something else? No. No, it's not a it's not a Len Hutton sort of sort of euphemism. What does it's, jiggery pokery mean? Jiggery pokery means shenanigans. It means okay. uh, something. It means something not above board. Uh, some sort of involving some sort of honest dishonesty or dissembling of some sort. NQR, not quite right. Jiggery pokery. Okay, so. So six six seven jiggery pokery. So my first thought was Muhammad Amir, because I remembered that he took six wickets at Lords mm. in the first innings in twenty ten before he got done by the news of the world. So I did check that up, but that was six for eighty four, not six for sixty seven. Pretty good six for like he knocks off Cook, Peterson, Collingwood, Morgan, Pryor, and Swan. None of them making any runs in the process. And then that's the match where Stuart Broad decides to make 160 and bats all day with Jonathan Trott and England end up winning by an innings. 
Pakistan captain by sports betting enthusiast Selman Butt. So I'm sure there was totally, totally above board that Stuart Broad made 160. It always stays with me how funny that photograph is, like the photo of the mm. no ball, which they put up first just to show how big the no ball was, but then in the bottom corner of the photo, there's Selman Butt just watching the bowler's <laughs> foot, not watching the batsman. I'm like... How obvious can you be? Like, you could be wearing, like, waving a flag. He could be on his phone on on a betting app, and it wouldn't have been as <laughs> sus as, as the way he's staring at the uh, the bowler's crease rather than you know the player who's supposedly hitting the ball. So six sixty seventh, not Muhammad Amir. It did bring me to another Pakistan bowler, another left armer actually, Nasim Ulgani, who will be less familiar. He was a he played in the fifties, but he debuted as a sixteen year old in the Hanif Muhammad match, the the three hundred and thirty seven match. Right, and yeah, he was a teenager. He bowled left arm spin mostly, but he also bowled seam, so he could you know mix and match as players were more likely to do in that era. Called him Funky. Yeah, exactly, Funky Organi. Mm. The <laughs> through that series in in the West Indies, it's quite a a steep education. So he's none for fifty one in his first test. But then in his second test, he gets a couple of threefers. His third test, he gets a fiver, which includes Sobers, Weeks and Rowan Canai. Not bad. And then in these, his final test of the series, he sets up a Pakistan win. He takes six for 67 in the third innings of the match uh, after Pakistan had made a decently big score. And they end up beating West Indies by an innings and one run. So he gets them out just in time. But he's, he's a name I was familiar with because I was looking him up a few months ago when I was researching Ajita Gurkha, naturally. And I became curious about, I thought, I wonder who the player is with the lowest career batting average who has also made a century in test cricket. That was my, okay. that was my point of curiosity. And Ajita Gurkha is number 10 on that list. And Nasim Mulgani is number nine is he made a test 100. So he had a career average of 16.6 with the bat, but he also made a test 100, which he did in Lords. At Lords when he was he was touring England and he was batting at eight or nine in that series and got put in at number six as a, a, a night watchy and he made 101. Just like Ajit Agurka, he got his ton at Lords as well, of course. Yeah, um, very similar. He wasn't, he wasn't night watchman though, was he, Ajit? He was batting in his regular spot, I think, yeah, I think down the right. order. Just twatting it. So... I can tell you who, who the other players are who got the lowest averages while having a Test 100, if you want. Please. I'm, I'm trying to if, rack if, my brains for it now, but I'm, I'm tipping Jason Gillespie's average might be a bit higher than 16. Yeah. Yeah. He's, his average was 18.7 Gillespie, so he doesn't make the top It would have 10, been. I reckon after 30 Test matches, Gillespie's average is in single digits, but it really gets a... Probably. Really gets motoring towards the end when he becomes Night Watchman and... Makes a number of... He got a lot of not-outs as well. Yeah. He got a lot of yeah. sort of 30 not-out down the order, that kind of thing. Give me some names. Hit me. It's not a list of stars for the most part. I'm going to put it that way. Okay. So so we've got Agurka, 10, Nasim Ulgani, 9, Graham Kremer, the Zimbabwe off-spinner oh, yeah. yep. at, at number 8, Ivan Barrow, the West Indies keeper from the 30s at number 7, Frank Hayes, who played in the 70s and was actually a specialist bat, uh, made a ton on debut and then didn't make any runs after that for England. Jack Badcock, what a name, who played in the 30s, who was also a specialist. Imagine, that, imagine handing out your business card at the nightclub. I'm Jack <laughs> Badcock. 
And then we get into the real, the real good material. Xenophon Belaskus, the the Greek spinner from South Africa. Um, Jim Maxwell likes to talk about Xenophon Belaskus a lot. He made a ton, made 174 career runs, including a century. Love it. <laughs> An average 14.5. Saklane Mushtak, average 14.48. Oh, yeah. Yassir Shah, number oh, two Yassir for that Shah, ton at the course, Adelaide Oval. Of course, yes. 13.66 career average and top of the pops, Jerome Taylor, who made a ton and averaged 12.96. I had a conversation with Andrew Sampson about this at one point where I said, who do you think is the worst player to ever make a Test 100? Is it Stuart Broad? This was at, you know, at, at the stage when Broad was over in the ashes and just batting horribly and uh, Samson thought about it for quite a while and said it may be Jerome Taylor and what do you know? He was right, statistically. Lowest average for anyone to make 100. So never never um, underestimate Samson. So that's Nassim Organi who took six for 67 to set up a win and the reason that I thought he might work in with the jiggery-pokery theme is he was pretty much squeezed out of test cricket by Pakistan politics. You know, he ended up having an administrative role later on in life, but he he didn't have the length of career that he might have had. Um, he ended up playing 20-odd tests, but he was sort of squeezed out by political stuff. I know that's unlikely, but I just wanted to tell you really about the list of players with a ton with the <laughs> lowest averages. And my last thought on the matter is it could also be Adil Rashid, who took six for 67 for Yorkshire on his county champs debut when he was a teenager. And there's been a fair bit of jiggery-pokery when it comes to Yorkshire and the Asian players at their club, I think you could say, and certainly with the career of Adil Rashid. So that might be something that works into that general theme as well. And if you are wondering why we didn't talk about um, Yorkshire pushing uh, a version of that report out and a statement out um, during the Manchester Council test last Friday, it's just because we're going to do it properly at some stage, warts and all, uh, the entire Yorkshire thing on a future episode. So um, we're not ignoring it. We're just waiting for our moment. Uh, Jeff, we've got one more new number to get through before we take a break on Storytime today. It's from Ritaraj. Uh, the number is 359 and the clue is India has been on the receiving end of this number several times. However, I wish to remember only one. <laughs> well, 359 is what Australia made in the World Cup final, right? Absolutely. In 2003. Yeah. So that's probably the, the occasion most that Ritaraj doesn't want to remember. So he's talking about another day. India's never made 359, but a number that did ring a bell in my mind straight away when I saw this is the 359 that Australia made in 2013, October 2013, when they set India 359 in a chase. Now, that's ah. the series you talked about a couple of weeks ago, yep. Adam, where George Bailey made an absolute mozza of runs. He made he made a 156 and he made a couple of 90s, 90 not outs. And But India also made a shitload of runs. Everyone made a shitload of runs. It was a crazy run fest, this series. So they played one T20 at the start, where India chased 201 to win. Australia made 304 in the, the opening ODI and won that. And then it really kicks off. Australia makes 359. And this is like a final word favourite scorecard. Philip Hughes opening makes 83. Bailey makes 92 off 50 balls. Glenn Maxwell makes 53 off 32. Adam Voges is in there batting at six. Oh, I love it. I didn't even remember he was still in the one day team yeah, at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. So they set 359 and you think, well, that's it. I remember watching this game live. And then there's this crazy opening partnership. Rohit Sharma and Shikhar Dhawan make 176 off 26 overs. So they're halfway there 
on pace to chase this down. Shikard nicks off for 95 and then out comes Coley and they both just go to town. They just start hitting sixes all over the place. Rowett makes 141. Coley makes 100 exactly, not out, in 52 balls. And I remember this innings because he was just driving over cover and driving over mid-off as easily as you like, just very calmly, punk, 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 six here, six there. He hit seven sixes, which to this day is the most he's ever hit in an innings hmm. in one-day cricket. And it was the fastest 100 ever by an Indian. So Saywag had that record with 100 off 60 balls. Coley does it off 52 balls, breaks the record easily. And they chase it one wicket down. So they run down 359 for the loss of one wicket. And then a couple of games later, after a couple of washouts, they chase down at 350 again. Coley makes another 100 off 62 balls, I think it was this time. And then they set. 383 in the last game and Australia nearly chased that. James Faulkner makes the fastest 100 by an Australian. Maxwell makes 60 off 22 balls and it all starts with that 359. That's just when everyone in the series goes we're just going to absolutely go nuts and it'll work because they were playing with four in the deep small boundaries, nice tracks, away you go. One of the highest scoring series ever. Yeah, I think it is the highest scoring series ever. I wrote about it. It was one of my very first columns, like sort of about the hyperinflation of 50 over cricket and how, like, is this sustainable? How can we fix this before the World mm. Cup? And they kind of didn't. And they made the changes after the 2015 uh, World Cup. So 359 was also the England target at Headingley and they made 362 because of the boundary at scores level or whatever it was. They might have made 363. But anyway, I, I like the synergy there between two massive chases and any time we get a chance to talk about that group of Australian batsmen, they were a very likeable uh, group in the one-day team uh, at the time, mm-hmm. weren't they? So, uh, yes, a nice place to leave the new numbers, Jeff. Yep, I think Watto made 100 in that series as well from memory. So, you know, all the all the stars. Sorry, Shane Robert Watson, that's on the bingo card. <laughs> Got to make sure we tick that one off. So that's the end of the new numbers. If you want to be on the show, you go to patron.com slash the final word and you sign up with a number that you want us to solve or you send us a message and tell us what your number is if it's something other than the number that you're signing up with that's how you can do it and in doing so you can help us keep make the show help us you can help us continue to make the show verb tenses yeah do it if you want it'll be fun Come and hang out. Yeah, it gives you a decent chance of winning that slab of brick lane as well that we, we've talked True. about earlier today. It, 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 it puts you in the box seat, put it that way, that, that mm-hmm. given we give away two a week and we get through about six or seven numbers a week. Um, well, you can do the maths on that and we'd love mm-hmm. to uh, give you an opportunity to gift or drink or enjoy uh, something from Brick Lane Brewing community something that we're proud of too so but yes join the patreon page also join the discord channel because jeff i went away from discord for a couple of weeks when i didn't have the ability to sort of manage another Mm -hmm. platform because i just had too much on and that place is going gangbusters some of the i mean the conversation around the vaccine game is beautiful but every time something big happens in cricket now it's happening on our discord i mean it's it's happening Mm -hmm. in real time people are enjoying it experiencing it the conversations that are taking place, the friendships that are being formed, the catch-ups mm-hmm. they've had. It's fucking perfect. It's exactly what we wanted out of this. So, And the way to get to the Discord is by joining Patreon. So mm. if you want to keep us ahead of James Anderson and uh, and and, uh, and be part of the fun there, uh, very straightforward, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Well, Jody Hicks correspondent John O'Halen has also set himself up as the Sachin Tendulkar of the Discord channel because he's got a spreadsheet with every, anyone's birthdays who want to 
supply them and then he wishes them happy birthday <laughs> on on the channel. So, look, <laughs> whatever you want to do, you can express yourself. Let's take the mid-show break. Then we've got a few revisits to look at before we wrap up. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Jeff, on Storytime, we often talk about the Lord's Taverners and the amazing work that they've done for seven decades for disadvantaged members of the community, our community. And I thought this week, instead of encouraging you to donate money to the Lord's Tabs, which I think you should do, I think people should do, but mm-hmm. I thought we should go through some numbers, this being Nerd Pledge. There are a whole bunch of numbers on the Lord's Taverners website uh, that, that spell out why uh, this is a charity uh, worthy of our support. And I just thought I'd run through a few of them and you can add a few more. How's that sound? Go on, lay them on me. This is, this is what we are here for. We are here to, to hear about lost numerals. Okay, let's do it. 4.1 million. That's the number of children currently living in poverty. 30% of children in the UK or nine children in every class of 30. That's a fucking high number. Mm-hmm. 4.1 million children currently living in poverty in this country children who live in poverty are four times more likely to develop a mental health problem by the age of 11 disability and poverty are connected 38 percent of children in families where someone is disabled live in poverty 45 percent of children from black asian and minority ethnic backgrounds live in poverty compared to 30 percent of all children i mean there's some of those are quite stark numbers but yeah, I think that it's worth remembering uh, that this isn't sort of some philosophical conversation around mm. where the money goes. It goes to very specific areas of need. And in terms of what the Lord's Taverners try to do to address what they can, where they can, with the resources they've got, things like 3,137, not the number of runs that Joe Root has made against India, although it's <laughs> close. Uh, it's getting close. He's up to third on the all-time list. He's only 200 from the top. But 3,137 is the coaching sessions delivered across the three cricket programs from the Lord's Tavs. 89%, not the incorrect DRS review rate of Virat Kohli. Uh, 89% of participants said that being part of Lord's Taverners programs made them feel better about themselves and the same proportion said they were more active due to those programs so these are important and useful things we've done light and shade there i've done shade you've done light i've done Mm -hmm. i've I've explained some of the and some of the problem and you've uh, described some of the solution i'll add here that 12,094 participants were involved in programs in 2020 to do with the lord's tabs that's a pretty good effort considering that was in the middle of a pandemic and 90% 90% of those participants said they were able to mm-hmm. make new friends because of the program. So it's all fairly clear cut. We've been encouraging a number of different ways of supporting the tabs, lots of activities. If you want to get involved, uh, I know we're heading into a really nice time of year here in the UK in autumn uh, where people often do things like run marathons and stuff like that. If that's your mm-hmm. bag and you want to support the tabs along the way, that would be wonderful. Lordstaverners.org. Uh, it's great to be uh, in partnership with them on The Final Word for the great work they've been doing now for over seven decades. Lordstaverners.org. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word Storytime with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Part two, Storytime Part two, The Quickening. Uh, this is uh, full disclosure being recorded sometime later than the first <laughs> bit. So, time travel. You're now, I don't know, 36 hours later in the life of um, AC and GL and t- compared to where we left off. 
Yeah, and quite a, my voice, as you may have noticed in the Lord's Tavernous spot there, my voice is uh, uh, far more ropey than it probably was when we did the first section a few days ago. Mm-hmm. That's because I was at the Oval. No, it wasn't at the Oval. Where was I? I was at Lord's. I was at the other one, not the Oval, Lord's, uh-huh. uh, doing the final day of Middlesex's home campaign where they took 10 wickets in a hurry and I think I called all of those and some of them were quite exciting. And then today I've just returned from calling, uh, well, as part of the Sky commentary team for the first one day down at Bristol between England and New Zealand. So I've been using my voice an awful lot and I've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of travel. So it is uh, half past 11 at night. Usually, as we've said before, it's Jeff recording it at some stupid hour. But we thought that the the right thing to do would be to knock it off the second half of the show so that mm-hmm. you can hear it earlier because if we waited till tomorrow morning it might be 24 hours later and so you've got story time in your feed and we know uh, how some of our listeners some of our cherished listeners actually like to listen to this on a Saturday morning when they go for a walk and because we're doing this tonight mm-hmm. that's exactly what they'll be able to do but first we need to get yep. through a bunch of revisits we've been hard at work Jeff and the first yes. revisit we have got here is the 497 from Colin Burton the clue was plenty of fruit and we Plenty went, of fruit. And we went through the, the, the rather fruity T20 International where 497 runs were made in New Zealand. Mm. And we thought... Well, not, oh, not an international, a, um, a T20 oh, domestic, domestic game. Domestic, just to right make it are. even more because Mahala Jayawardena was turning out for <laughs> Central Districts, I believe. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, the initial clue was, yes, it was about plenty of flute. <laughs> plenty of flute? Plenty of fruit. Plenty oh, of flute. <laughs> plenty of flute. If you're getting plenty of flute. Um, right. Right, this, this could get a bit. This could get a bit. Uh, this could get a bit uh, yep. loose over the next half an hour or so. A bit blue. I, Work, working blue, as they says Ruin HG. So I've had a go at this. I I said to Colin Plum Water, four ninety seven, but Plum Plum. I looked at every possible connotation and permutation of Plum Warner's storied career, and there was no four nine seven. So Colin kindly helped me and said that he could see where I was going with it, but. Um, I'm looking more to the Southern Hemisphere with a UK connection. Uh, and then he gave me a couple of dates and then said the name Graham Hick. It says, not Graham Hick, but think Graham Hick. And that got me sort of swinging where I needed to be to a final word favourite, Jeff, Glenn Turner. From oh, thank God we're getting to talk about Glenn Turner. We never get to talk about Glenn Turner. I know, I know, I know. But I'm not going to talk about that innings for mm-hmm. the pears, the pears being the fruit uh, of Worcestershire where he turned out between 1967 oh, and 1982. That, that always confuses me. Okay, so Warwickshire, the guys at Birmingham. The bears. They're the bears. And then the men and women at... Worcestershire are pairs. Yes, the, and, Is that and, right? and I'd say I'd say they're rivals. I'd say they're rivals. I mean, I don't feel as though it's a fierce rivalry. Although I'm going to cop Peltas for saying that if it is, but it yeah. doesn't strike me as a fierce rivalry. But. Um, they are both yeah. clubs of the Midlands, and yes, one is represented by sa- Bear and the other a pair. They have the same nickname. Yeah. Like, they rhyme, you know, there's there's a whole... Enid Blyton wrote a scene into one of the Faraway Tree books in which they have a magic machine that makes you a, a, a cake of any kind that you like, and someone asks for a pear tart, and they get given a bear tart, and it's a, it's a whole misunderstanding, so, you know... <laughs> There'd have to be some rivalry involved when you've got basically the same nickname and it's all about who came up with it first. Uh, I suppose that's right. And I'm off there tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow, sorry. Tomorrow is the vaccine game, which you'll probably, as we said at the front half of the show, uh, you, you might be listening to this on the way home from the vaccine game, who's to know? But on mm. Saturday, I'm going to Worcester for the second one day. Or on Sunday, whew, it's a big week, five games in 11 days. 
Anyway, right. Okay, so the so, pairs. So and pairs. Pairs, Glenn Turner and the 497 that, that relates to him. So just to quickly run through, he was a real true professional in New Zealand cricket and well ahead of his time. I mean, mm-hmm. he arrived at Worcester as a 20-year-old, ready to work, and then he spent 15 years there. Played far more cricket in England than he did in New Zealand or around the world. Um, you know, had this off-drive to die for. You know, beautiful three-mid-wicket, sort of like a Mark War before Mark War was Mark War. Um, and a mainstay for New Zealand across 41 tests. Where he made nearly 3,000 runs at 45, made seven tonnes, a couple of doubles. A West Indies tour in 1972 where he made four double centuries on one tour albeit only one at test level. But you got you get the picture, right? This guy loved bulk runs. He wasn't satisfied with but a single century. He liked to go on with it a wee bit. He made almost as many runs, test runs, as the Lord's Taverners delivered coaching sessions last year. Very nicely done. That's a lot of runs. He played the second longest test innings ever recorded as well. He faced 700... Well, that's by balls faced. And I think mm-hmm. the work that Samo and co are doing at the moment to go through every scorecard ever and work out Bull's face. That's a project that's still ongoing. But in terms of what mm-hmm. we know, 759 Bulls is the second longest test innings ever recorded, and that was one of those double centuries in the Caribbean in right. 1972. The first twin tons for New Zealand, that was in 74, and the first win that New Zealand had over Australia, so a huge performance there. And before I move on, the, the, the big meta stuff, he had for a long time the highest score in one-day cricket. He's 171 not out against East Africa in the 19. 19- 75 World Cup. Now, mm. first-class cricket, though, which is what... I mean, even though he's got that illustrious international record, it's the first-class game where he, his numbers and his contribution is, is ridiculous. 455 games, nearly 35,000 runs at our nerd pledge number, 49.7. Oh, hello. Yes, there it is, uh, with 103 centuries. So, obviously, that, that Graham Hick... Clue is to do with the fact that they both represented Worcestershire proudly and they both made 100 centuries. They're, they're two of the 25 in that crew. And what a way to make his 100th 100, by the way, Jeff. That was against Warwickshire. Maybe mm. fierce rivals, maybe not. I'm sure I'll find that in the comments. <laughs> What's their um, nickname? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, not only did, he, not only did he make his 100th 100. Have you got a nickname, Warwickshire? Where's your nickname? <laughs> and as we learned a few weeks ago when, when talking about uh, 100-100s, he, he had the champagne brought out to him on a tray but he couldn't have been too pissed because he he ended up making 311 runs in that day Uh, Worcestershire closed at 501 for one Mm. and he was the first batsman in 33 years in England to make 300 runs in a day a la Bradman of course from Leeds in 1934 speaking of Don and uh, Charlie McCartney would have been the other one? He must have been. Yeah, McCartney must yeah. must be in there too. Yeah, speaking of Bradman, Turner and, and Bradman are, are two of the non-English, or two of the four non-English 100-100 crew. So Zahira Bus, Viv Richards, right. the other two. Handy club that. Another thing that he shares with Graham Hick is that they are the only two post-World War II players to have made mm-hmm. 1,000 first-class runs by the end of the month of May. He did so in 1973 when he was touring there with New Zealand, so kind of similar to what Bradman was able to achieve on, on those consecutive uh, Ashes tours in the 30s. And then, of course, his Bannerman, his 83.43 that we've talked about many, many times against uh, Glamorgan mm-hmm. at Swansea in, in 1977. Uh, a famous venue for, for many reasons, not least that it's the same ground that Sobers hit his six sixes on back in 1968. But yeah, so Turner, long career in the game as a player, a coach, an administrator. He coached New Zealand a couple of times, once in the 80s, once in the 90s. He was still a selector up to 2007. Uh, he's now 74 years of age, uh, but that average, that number, a fine average, mm-hmm. 49.7. Most of those hundreds, 52 of those, oh, sorry, 
52, I should say, was his average for the mighty pears, the fruit that we were looking for for Colin Burton. The fruit with which we begin. Uh, I think if it came down to a straight fight between a bear and a pear, I think my money's going on the ambulant creature <laughs> with the incredibly strong jaws. But, you know, maybe there's some sort of Snow White-style poisoned um, fruit in there. I don't know. Uh, the, these, these are the big... What was the Mighty Bush one? The, um, you know, who, who would win out of a fight between the shark and the polar bear? Uh, the shark, he says. Well, what about on land? <laughs> <laughs> the polar bear just waits for the shark to dry out. The Wears mighty Boucher. Now, uh, George, the mysterious George, who comes in with no last name, mm-hmm. 102. This is a statute of limitations revisit. Uh-huh. By which I mean there is no statute of limitations on nerd pledge, as we've said before, and George has taken advantage of this. George sent this pledge. We did this on the show the last show before I left London in 2019. Bloody hell. <laughs> that, was so in, when, uh, when that was in the living room of you and DC. My friend's apartment in, in Farringdon or something like that. You and Cameroon, was it Farringdon yeah. you two were in? Whatever the fancy bit near the city is, I don't know. I think uh, it, yeah, was. it was. Clerkenwell possibly. Anyway, I remember being there. I remember being, we were both yeah. truly rattled. We were two exhausted people coming to the yeah. end of a long thing and we, we, we interviewed Cam, didn't we? We must have been a bit we short on Cam. I think we were a bit short on ideas for the show. Like, you know what, who's got a great story? Cam. And Cam Well, we we talked about the twenty thirteen oh, series right. that yes. Cam and I had done and then Cam and I nearly missed our flight to Melbourne and made it by eight minutes because we had been recording the show. Oh no, I, I know I know that story. Cam's told me his yeah. version of that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So we did George's number on the show and we I think what we said, I don't even remember the options we gave because George said we gave lots. We were like 102, there are lots of 102s. Mm-hmm. And so we went through a bunch of them. And George sent this message a couple of weeks ago saying it's now been two years since I pledged and after you nerded it. I didn't bring up that your answer wasn't what I had in mind. How could you know? As you said at the time, there are so many possibilities. So here is a hint, rather tongue-in-cheek, pink is for girls. And I thought, 102, pink, I know where this is going, magenta, the mighty magenta of the Sydney Sixers. And if we look at the women's team, who made that groundbreaking 102 not out in the 2018 season, Uh, maybe eight months before this? Elise Perry's 102 in the run chase against the Scorchers. There hadn't been a lot of tons in the WBBL to that point. There'd been one in the first season when Grace Harris just whacked one. Opening day. One. It was a double mm. header, wasn't it? The, the the stars and the heat and in the second of those. I'm pretty sure I'm right I'm right in saying that Grace Harris. Uh, it might have been the, the opening century. weekend, like the Sunday. They played the Saturday and the Sunday. I feel, I feel like it was a doubleheader, wasn't it? And, and I, I'm not sure whether it was the Stars in the, in the second game, but, yeah, the, I think it was, yeah, Grace Harris started mm. it with a bang. feels like a long time ago. Yeah, Ash Barty was playing in that yeah. that first three was, round yeah. and made a 50, I think. Made yep. 50 for the Brisbane Heat. and that, So she's, um, you know, gone on to a, a few achievements since. So Sophie Devine made one in 2016. Susie Bates and Ash Gardner made tons in 2017 and then 2018 Lizelle Lee early in the season and then Perry makes this one Mm. and goes on to make another one a couple of weeks later but yeah they're chasing 168 against Perth and it's one of those run chase things where scores are level Perry's got 98 needs to hit a boundary because if they run a run then it's going to be over and so she bangs Heather Graham away for through mid-wicket I think for four and uh 
Goes to 102, not out on the last ball of the innings and uh, goes on to make 103 a couple of weeks later and 777 for the season, the old aircraft number, as Perry got the 102. I remember that well. Uh, I think, Jeff, you were still filing and you were writing next to me. We were at the Union Club in, in Adelaide. Uh, in Adelaide, And I think mm. uh, we were there with uh, Conrad and Polly, friends of mine from Melbourne, and... Mm, and Diogenes Dave Brown. Diogenes Dave friend Brown. Friend of the show. There, absolutely. I mean, we were there. Bredig was there, I think. And we were... And it was this moment when I realised the entire pub was watching the television, watching the WBBL. Mm. And, like, it was just that moment of, fuck, this isn't a small thing. Not that the WBBL was ever small, but it, it was... It, ref- it reflected the fact that by that stage, it was big. It had broken pub, through. Yeah, it had absolutely broken through. The, the entire pub's worth of people who'd been on the lash at the test match all day were transfixed by watching the WBBL on the telly, you know, on a big screen. And that was mm. the focus of everyone's attention. So, yeah, given that we were, you know, I'm not saying that we were there from the start with women's cricket to the point where we were sort of watching it in the 90s or something like that. But, you know, we, we've done a fair few years by that point And that was a proud moment. It was a moment that felt good to know that it was mm. it was on the way. And next on our list, thank you, George, for getting back to us after all that time. It's Jonathan Brand with 316, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, we had a dusty old bastard answer. Jonathan wrote back and said it was from when England were still looking for the new beefy. <laughs> Adam spent a lot of time looking for all of the new beefies and not being able to work out where this clue was going. And eventually Jonathan helped out again and said... A Yorkshire all-rounder who only played four tests and was a bit later in the search than some of those mentioned like Derek Pringle and Chris Lewis and Daffy DeFratis and so on. Yeah, I mean, I went through every new Botham and I missed kind of the one who, on reflection, well, he, he's kind of past new Botham era. I think of new mm. Botham era as, you know, anyone who played as an all-rounder from about... 1986 onwards, so when, when Botham wasn't as prolific towards the end of his career, through to about mm-hmm. like maybe around the late 90s, early 2000s, they would still have the new Botham headline, if you like, but this was a little bit later. This is 2003, uh, but who are we talking about? Anthony McGrath. Now, when I think of Anthony McGrath, I think of the chap who's standing next to Jimmy Anderson when he got his cap. I mean, you, th- those scenes in front of the Lord's Pavilion, which... We see time and time again as Anderson passes milestone after milestone. Uh, and, you know, he'd earned it, McGrath. He'd earned his opportunity to play for England after a sustained run of success through the mid-90s at Yorkshire. He scored 999 runs in a season in 1995, for example. We spoke earlier in the show about debuts in that series. Uh, Richard Johnson, uh, who took the 10 for 45 and, and got his chance uh, at the second test of that series. But in the first test, it was Anderson and McGrath. And the 316, I'm like, well, originally I'm, I'm scratching around at that game. I'm like, well, it's probably not Grant Flowers three in 16 minutes but <laughs> but Anthony McGrath I, I wish it was it did take three for 16 in the second innings to finish them off so again we we think of Jimmy we think of him ripping through mm. them in the first innings and taking that five wicket haul but the second innings it was it was Anthony McGrath um, he also made 69 nice in that in that test with the bat and then made 81 in the second test match uh, I think that was at Trent Bridge by his third test against South Africa so they played Zimbabwe at the start of the summer mm-hmm. South Africa after that. He made 34 in the first test. You know, it's not, it's not, not an earth-shattering score, okay, but cool. having made a couple of half-centuries in his first two test matches and taken, you know, taken wickets in the first of those, he's going pretty well. 
Then in his fourth test, he makes four and 13, so his first failure, if you, if you like, and takes one for 40, and they drop him, and that's it. I mean, talk about ruthless times. At that juncture, he'd played four test matches, a batting average of 40, a bowling average of 14, and that's it. I mean, what's a bloke got to do? <laughs> Pretty bloody stiff. <laughs> well, he finished his career mm. many years on uh, in... Uh, 2013, so a decade on, with 35 centuries for Yorkshire, and he took his wickets at 35. Had a fine career, really. Uh, these days, he's been uh, the long-term coach of Essex. He's had so much success there. The, the double triumph uh, in 2019, and and last year again in the Bob Willis Trophy. But yes, that Lord's debut, those photos, those numbers, uh, 14 one-day internationals as well, Test cap 614, and on debut. Uh, three for 16, a most underrated mm. cricketer, a very unlucky cricketer, Anthony McGrath. I wonder if he's, I imagine he's probably gone through a process of being fairly dirty about being the guy standing next to James Anderson because, <laughs> you know, that would that would haunt you for a while and then maybe in the fullness of time you'd come to embrace that and say it's, you know, as, like, as Jimmy gets to, you know, say... 80 test matches and, you know, 400 wickets, you're probably shitty about it. But as he gets to 700 wickets and 160 <laughs> tests, you're probably like, you know what? At least I'm, like, I get to be in that photo. Yeah. It's me there and not anybody else. Yeah, so. I think that's right. I mean, again, it, it kind of goes back to the longevity of Anderson, doesn't it? I mean, James Anderson played test cricket with Alex Stewart. Alex Stewart was born in 1963. I mean, you know, I know we quite enjoy these overlapping cricketers and all the rest of it, but that's quite a pronounced overlap that in terms of age. I mean, Stewie was 40 on there. Well, he was was 40. He was 40 when Anderson made his test debut. I guess he would have been 21 or 22 or something like that. And I wonder who it'll be on the other overlap. I wonder who the young kid who Anderson's playing with now, who'll go on to still mm. be playing in, you know, the better part of 20 years' time. Yeah. Possibly like when a... When James Z- Bracey's making his 100th time <laughs> for the freaks. In- yeah. Uh, may, maybe like a... I'm thinking Zach Crawley is probably the man most likely, even though he's out of favour right now. But he strikes me as the sort of guy who will still be up and about you know, for quite a long time. And maybe we'll be having this conversation about Zach Crawley mm. in 20 years' time. About, gee whiz, he played with James Anderson when he was 38 you know years old. James Anderson. 39 years old. You can, you can get all the way back to Wilfred Rhodes in eight <laughs> connections. Adrian Muller, the, the 0.00. Now... I should, I should specify for anyone wondering, Adrian did actually send us some cash. Um, he didn't send us zero dollars and zero cents, but he sent us cash in order to be able to have a pledge of zero dollars and zero cents. You can have whatever pledge you want. Um, you know, it's 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 up to you. And I quite enjoyed recounting the tale of Zahir Khan, the other Zahir Khan of <laughs> Afghanistan, the guy who's batted six times in test cricket without scoring a run, three dismissed, three not out. Adrian said, you need to go back further in time to a person who was also a wrist spinner of significant but underused talent who ended up contributing much more but not with the bat. Well, this has got to be Jim Higgs. Uh, <laughs> he, had he worked on ships, he would have been the Higgs boson, but not to be. He did play cricket instead and the th- the trivia point that he's famous for is that he goes on the 1975 Ashes Tour and doesn't play a test on the tour, but he does play eight tour matches, bowled 209 overs and faced one delivery on the entire tour against Leicestershire and was out bowled for naught. So, you know, out from his only delivery on tour. He did bat another time on that tour, though. This is this maybe gets lost in the the mists of time, but right. he was not not out against the MCC, um, but he was at the non-strikers end, so he never got to face a ball. 
So he did still overall manage to play 22 tests, took 66 wickets, and it's a tough era. He's playing in the Packer era when, you know, the team's gone to shit and a fair bit of demand is being placed on the players who've come in. He's got a couple of days where he takes Titch Freeman kind of bags. He gets six or seven wickets, but goes for heaps, Mm. goes for 150 or so because he just has to wheel away at one end and get them out one way or another. But I suspect where Adrian's going with how he contributed much more is that he was a formative influence on the young Shane Keith Warne when it came to, because Jim Higgs was a Victorian, um, was key in Victoria winning a Sheffield Shield and so on. But he's the one, allegedly, who showed Warney how to bowl the flipper, what the secrets of the flipper were. And so... In terms of contributing much more to Australian cricket, you can't contribute much more than helping create the Shane Warne flipper that for three years or so was the most exciting thing in world cricket. Absolutely. Uh, I suppose success has a thousand fathers and that's much the case with Shane Warne and his influences all the way through. I had this wonderful conversation, Jeff, last week with a a chap who I wrote my cricket paper column about called Matthias, Matthias Winter. I played a game against him earlier in the year and he just struck me as one of these characters in life that you want to learn more about. So I interviewed him. He captains a team called the Railway Taverners, a pub in Crouch End, and, and we played against them for the Oval Dream Boys, who, of course, were mm-hmm. playing in the vaccine game. Anyway, Matthias has got long hair. You know, he's a punk rocker. You know, that's one of his passions. But he found cricket sort of accidentally and then, and then picked it up via the OBO. He actually found it through the Duckworth-Lewis method, the band. Uh, and, mm. and then um, it went on to uh, sort of fall in love with the OBO and, and the words of the game and taught himself cricket. He's a German, I should say. At this point, he moved to England as a teenager, had no interest in cricket till his 20s. But the, the best bit of the interview was when he, he decided to become a leg spinner um, because he sort of thought that he was never going to be a fast bowler and something about leg spin and the idea of it being such a risky proposition appealed to him. Mm. And he didn't even know who Shane Warne was, but he did know Rob Alinda's YouTube channel and therefore through that he found a Terry Jenner coaching video. Terry Jenner, of course, <laughs> being Shane Warne's coach. So he learned how to bowl leg spin from Terry Jenner's videos on Rob Alinda's channel. <laughs> Rob, mm-hmm. So Rob Moody's responsible for these most unique leg breaks that he now bowls. Very effective too, by the way. But um, he's sort of been made in a test tube, thanks to Terry <laughs> Jenner, at a time before he even knew who Warney was. It's a, it's a beautiful story. So, uh, yeah, looking wow. forward to playing them again next year. It's like the control group or something. Yes. If, you, if Terry Jenner got to make a bunch of different leg spinners who didn't know about Shane Warne, yeah, where can we find someone who doesn't know about Shane Warne? Germany. Good. <laughs> yes, probably quite credible. I bet there are a lot of Germans who don't know who Shane Warne is. <laughs> oh, but, well, I'm tipping a few, might. <laughs> <laughs> Balance of probability. That's, you know, that's what are they joints, the, maybe. The science of big numbers? What is it? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So that's Adrian Muller. That's my guess, Adrian. Let me know. Will Day, um, bless Will Day. This is the guy who got us a cameo message from Peter Graves, oh, so um, good. county cricketer, back in the day. One of one of the great early moments of final word crowd interaction, I think, where we. Where, um, it stopped being a one-way broadcast and started being a uh, a conversation with the world in which the world was able to speak back to us via Will Date. The $3.84 that he put through and he's come back with... He's basically solved it 
for us because well, for reasons that will become apparent. Yes, Will Day also put his hand up at the very last minute to be the last player in the in the vaccine final word eleven. We had a we had a withdrawal, and uh, Will mm-hmm. said, "I'll play." And speaking of uh, Peter Graves, I was showing uh, some colleagues the the cameo cricket page a few weeks ago. They weren't familiar with it, and I was sort of you know encouraging them to get on board and whatnot. And I showed them Peter Graves is um, I guess the video that you put out to entice people to. To come. I'd mm-hmm. never seen this, and Peter Graves is one of those. I mean, bless him, but it's very strong boomer, boomer energy where he's like, you can hear in the background going, yeah, yeah, go, go now, go now. He's like, okay, I'm Peter Graves, <laughs> Sussex legend. <laughs> and so it went. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'll uh, I look forward to having that conversation with Will tomorrow. Right, so he sent through to us that Adam went with Simon Kadich and Jeff with Keith Miller's 1946-47 Ashes total. Uh, I was going to give an unhelpful list of everything it was not, but in further procrastination, I listened to a further story time where you conveyed every possible bit of ground without hitting the number on the revisit of 609 for Joe Denley. So the 384 referred to the number of England matches Denley missed between call-ups. Not sure how I expected you to get that one, blind but you set a high bar after plucking a ravi bowling average pledge last year i have to admit that's one of my all-time favorite um solutions uh the ravi uh, ravi papara bowling average uh based on a spurious bit of evidence from will that got me there uh, but yes uh, i'm glad that we're here with uh, another joe denley tides of time style uh, number uh, on this occasion 384 so the second time we've had a clue like this about denley again i'm not encouraging people to do this i think this has now been done but i'm glad will gave it a reprise <laughs> Well, I think Will Will was in there simultaneously. Um, you know, the the idea was out there in the universe, coming right. to us from multiple people, and so, so you know, Will's Will's had to concede that it's it's been milked for all that it can be milked for. We're gonna have one more revisit today, so we've got quite a few to get through. So apologies if we don't get to you. For instance, if you're Nigel Brown, Max Gillespie, Max Hanlon, Xavier Bochat, Clayton Lewis. Doc Galland or Peter Holton, you'll be on the show next week. They're all coming. The work's been done. The work's, the work's in progress or been done. The truth is, I can only talk for about four more minutes before I'll be, yep. uh, before it won't work anymore. So we're yep. going to have to wrap it up soon. So I'm going to do one more then. We've got a couple of confirmations that are sort of revisits anyway, like in that people have helped us out a bit. It's a hybrid section, but a revisit here from Emil Varghese. The 449, and I wish I had got this in the end. Basically, Emil has has, has bailed us out here um, because we were trying to figure out it was about a record that Devon Conway almost broke when oh, yes. he made the double hundred on debut, but it related to 449, and we just couldn't figure this out. And Emil said, and this is why I think I should have got it in retrospect: my pledge is not a traditional number. The record is a retrospective record, as this wasn't recorded until about 1987, by which point this player had been dead for 73 years. And I should have worked it out because we were talking recently about Ted Dexter inventing the ICC player rankings. Oh, of course. When I looked at the revisit clue, I'm like, what the fuck's he on about? But this makes so much sense. It's my fault, not yours, Emil. It's my fault. Between us, we could have got there and we didn't. But 449 is the record for the highest ICC ranking points recorded on test debut. 
Conway didn't quite break it because he got 447 points on debut. On 448 points was Kyle Mayers when he made that double hundred in the run chase against Bangladesh mm. earlier this year. And top of the pops with 449 on debut, Tip Foster back in 1903 when he made the 287 at the SCG that stood as the highest visiting score at the Sydney Cricket Ground until... Uh, God, no, it's the highest score it in the Sydney Cricket Ground until Michael Clark. It's yeah, still the highest, still the highest visiting, visiting score. score, just the tip, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I suppose and if you smash the world record, you deserve to, in perpetuity, unless someone goes and breaks the world record on debut, tip should always yeah. have this, the highest points contribution at the first time of asking. It should be named after him. And Emil said he threw this in because he he didn't know about just that. He didn't he had not been oh. familiar with the oeuvre oh. of work from Tip Foster. Tragic ending. Erskine, Tip Foster. Yeah, he died in his thirties of diabetes. And we we spuriously tried to use that to link to solve a nerd pledge number some time ago. Mm. Um, that he he died at thirty six or thirty nine thereabouts. Jewel I didn't even have to look this up, he Emil. Football for England too, didn't he? Yep. Just the tip. Yep, played football for England, played a lot for, oh, I'm going to say Surrey, maybe. You can tell that I haven't looked this up, Emil, but I do retain a lot of Tip Foster <laughs> knowledge in my head. I know what he looks like. I'd recognise him if I ran into him, if he were somehow reanimated, um, even though he's, as you say, has, has been gone for quite some time. I'd probably be able to pick him out of a crowd and yeah he he fitted a fair bit in but he was a diabetic and it was a point of time in which they didn't really know how to treat that disease anywhere near as effectively as they do now uh, unless you live in america and can't afford to buy insulin so land of the free home of the brave but yes emil there is a there is a fair catalogue of tip foster that goes all the way back through our shows, I might see if I can dig out some episode numbers and, and let you know we where definitely to go did. for we your def- I, know I, I can remember one. A ner- the first time we did, well, I'm, I'm loosely called Nerd Pledge Quiz mm. with Norcross sitting in that cafe at King's Cross. We, oh, wouldn't, yeah. we got, wouldn't have got any bloody phone reception, I know that for sure. Uh, where you, <laughs> Daniel, you, <laughs> there's a little inside joke. Uh, uh, for the final word, Zolio fans. Um, uh, the... Um, yeah, I th- I'm certain that Daniel spoke about Tip in that episode. Mm-hmm. And I think you might I have I think the episode is called Transforming Technology with Technology Transformation. Off the top of my head, it's one of the few episode titles that I remember. So that's the revisit section. Kinda, but we're going to get into the confirmations that it kind of revisits because... So this one, George Norman solved for us because he said he buggered up his clue. Um, <laughs> or he buggered up his number overall. So I went 514. Tina McPherson's 5 for 14 on debut in the 73 World Cup. George came back and said the clue that sort of made it clear was the best of cricket, a series Headley Verity would have loved to have played in. Well, Headley Verity wasn't there after World War II because he'd been killed in Italy. And so I figured out it's got to have something to do with the victory tests. And and George came back to say, yes, some nice work with 514. And we are all for more Tinas in action. I offer the German international Tina Goff. She's probably heard of Shane Warne, by the way. You know, German, German cricketer probably knows who Warne is. Going to have to put my hand up here, says George, to being dudded by Wikipedia. Well, you can't trust Wikipedia for your research, George. First, first thing we learn on this show. To save your time, I was looking for a stat to hang the whole thing together when it comes to the victory tests and plumped for Keith Miller's runs in the series. However, the wiki summary included the runs he scored in the warm-up match rather than only the five tests. 
So in the tests, he scored 433 runs, not 514 runs. The best of cricket, George says, but a piss-poor pledge. George, don't be hard on yourself. We've all been misled by the internet before. I, for one, ate a bunch of horse deworming paste on some crackers this morning to try to cure myself of COVID, and it turns out it doesn't work. Well, there's a better chance of that than than the warning approach. I'm sure you saw this Mm. the other week, Jeff, that that Shane Warne on radio on SEN New Zealand said that when he picked up COVID over here when working for the London Spirit. He, he tried to get rid of it in quarantine by churning down 100 ciggies per day. He tried to kill COVID by smoking 100 ciggies per day. I mean, I couldn't, okay. and, I couldn't and wouldn't make it up. He said it himself. <laughs> said it himself. Couldn't. Well, when you've got a respiratory illness, the first thing you want to do is try to reduce the efficacy of your ventricles to be able to carry oxygen to the blood. That is absolutely not. Yeah, that's how you kill it. You get it where it hurts. 100 burners a day. God love mm. him. Uh, the second confirmation, if you like, is uh, from Steve Dodd, uh, who I met at Dulwich Hamlet with his lovely baby the other day. Indeed, his lovely baby tried to climb into my lovely baby's uh, stroller. His response to meeting me was to try and climb into Winnie's pram. <laughs> Four forty-one. Now we said we had Jeff. You said really you did a great job with this, and I don't really remember how this all came to pass. But it was to do with four forty-one being the score that Paul Collingwood, well, Paul Collingwood made the highest score or something like that in a test. Paul match Collingwood, Collingwood made his highest score to that point. And when he and when he got out, it was on four forty one. Right, and Plunkett was in that test match. Another Durham connection. Collingwood was in that test match. Harmison was in and that Harmison. test match. And we arrived at the conclusion that 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 is probably the only time, unless maybe one that Graham Munyans was involved in, where there were three Durham players in the England Test eleven. As Steve responded by saying, what a lovely wander down memory lane it was to think back to when Durham, Northumberland provided plenty of players in the England squad. I'm pretty sure an episode or two before my pledge, there was a chat about whether Leeds was in the North East or not. 44.1 actually referred to the over slash ball in the Nottingham test of 2005 when Gary Pratt did his thing as a subfielder to run out Ricky Ponting, much to punter's annoyance, re-specialist fielders being used as subs, though he was on for the genuinely injured Simon Jones. Of course, uh, Gary Pratt being another member of that Durham squad who, who had an influence in 2005 uh, in the months preceding that test match in Pakistan. So a strong link between 2005 and Durham mm-hmm. via Gary Pratt. So that, that came together well. So Gary Pratt was from Durham, not from Leeds. Is that what I'm getting from this? I, I am, not, yeah. I'm, I'm certain that Gary Pratt was a Durham player, so I think, yeah. I think that this is just. A, I think that that might be a, you know, it looks like a non sequitur written down, but I think he's just making the point that we've debated. Right. We've debated whether Leeds is in in the northeast, but no, that Nottingham test. Yeah, it's that, not in the northeast, is it? It's more in the northwest. Leeds. Mm, well. Ish. I would well. It's east of the it's east of the Pennines, and Manchester yep. is west of the Pennines. I don't know. Yep. I mean, you know, Jeff. The truth of the matter is, you'll get in trouble. You'll get in hot water mm. uh, talking mm. about this. So I'm going to suggest you leave it there. I'm prepared to, you know, I, I like I like to invite the trouble sometimes a little bit. You know, why do <laughs> no. you all have Shire at the end of no, your name? You. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's sometimes. People need to be annoyed, but they need someone to be annoyed at, and, and I'm just providing that service. So, Pushkar Godbole, the 240. This was the really, this was the mysterious 240 when oh, I was yes. trying to work out a 240 
that occurred in the 1997 test match between India and South Africa in Cape Town and a 240 that occurred on the next tour in 2001. But I couldn't work out what the 240 in 1997 was. Pushka pointed out, and I probably should have worked this out myself, that it's because the partnership, the famous partnership between Sachin Tendulkar and Mohammad Azharuddin, sports betting enthusiast, was made in 240 deliveries. That's why it was so notable at the time. Because God, you made that 222 hard. at God, nearly you made that you've made that harder than it needed to be. I'll tell you what. Yeah. You've done so much well, work on this, and it's simply the balls of the partnership. Yeah, but I like. I mean, I looked at the partnership. I didn't look at the duration of the partnership. <laughs> I didn't, didn't didn't think about that. So you know, that's the point at which. Um, so Pushka says in the series, having lost the previous test pretty pretty comfortably as well, when this partnership started at fifty eight for five, India had effectively made two hundred and twenty four runs in the series for the loss of twenty five wickets. So they weren't going that well. And from that point, they score 222 for no loss in 240 balls. He says, 10-year-old me had not seen such batting in test cricket and was blown away by the audacity. And then the second 240, as I mentioned on the show, with some help from Brent as well in the DMs, uh, relates to Baroda opening bat Connor Williams, who made his debut for India in the third test that became an unofficial test in 2001. Had the test match been given official status, he would have been India cap number 240. The next test was a couple of months later at home. Three players made their debut, including Sanjay Banga, who played in the unofficial test and then in this next official test, and got cap number 240, but Connor Williams never played again. Oh, no. So his only match for India was in the unofficial no, test. No, and no, he no, no, out. no, no. This is just wrong. You can't have that. That's not right. I mean, it was a f- yeah. purely because they had a fucking tantrum. Hmm. Connor Williams was denied a test cap because that's what it amounted yep. to. It was a big yeah. toys out of the cot fucking hissy fit. And because of that, Connor Williams, he... I mean, that's no good. Someone better mm. interview him and tell his story. I, I hope he had a fulfilling career beyond that. I mean, by the way, when I say it was a hissy fit, you know, it, it, I, I'm, I'm talking about the whole palaver. The whole thing was a fucking shambles, that series. A lot of people mm. were to blame for that, not just the Indian team. It was messy, scrappy unnecessary and probably an early flex from them too as to what was to come in terms of the power they'd wield around global cricket but nonetheless I didn't know there was collateral damage in the form of, of a player who would have otherwise been a, a capped test player that, 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 that feels so unfortunate yeah that they you know had had that opportunity never had it again um, Brian Murgatroyd should should talk to him for the he uh, should the That's one a great the idea. one cap wonders test match because you know he's he's the ultimate sort of one cap wonder in that he didn't even get the cap. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, well, I'm glad I know that. That's something I'm going to follow up, even though I desperately need to go to bed after recording this podcast. I'm going to spend no fewer than seven minutes on Quick Info <laughs> and Wikipedia, learning more uh, about um, Connor Williams, Jay mm-hmm. Singh, one twenty. This was the story, uh, Jeff, that you were telling about Saywag's period after coming back into the team. In mm-hmm. 2008, Jay's written to us saying the period that he was looking at is from January 2008 until the end of his career. It all came together at Adelaide with this match-saving fourth-inning century of 120. After that, he returned to the ODI team with a career segment of 73 ODIs, averaging 43.45, with a strike rate of 120.23. How on earth were you meant? To, were we, 
Anyway, uh, having grown up in the era... <laughs> well, I'd, I'd actually identified a smaller period of his career when he had a, a strike rate of 120, so I was going even more niche. <laughs> I was like, no, no, less niche. You two can yeah, you two can sort this out between the two of you. Uh, having grown up in the era when 80 was a good strike rate, it blew my mind that in my 20s that someone could score at Shahida Freddy rates while comfortably exceeding the magic 40 mark, though that's becoming quite commonplace nowadays. Well... Thank you, JC. Uh, uh, that that is that is a well. That's right up there. That's on the podium for the mm-hmm. most obscure, um, I think, uh, clues or uh, answers that we've had for Nerd Pledge. So, well played, to you. <laughs> and good to get Saywag, uh, the first resident of the shit list, the final word shit list. Um, another mention on the show. He's come up a first lot recently. Only. I will. First, I will say a lot a of it. It's a shit list of one, and and it would take a fair bit to get someone else on there. I reckon. A lot of our Indian listeners um, on the YouTube particularly, I've had several explicit petitions saying, are you going to add Ravi Shastri to the final word shit list for having the book launch that tanked the the, the test series? The problem is, Jeff, let's be serious about this. In all probability, (laughs) you or I will end up working with Ravi Shastri again because the minute that he doesn't want to coach India anymore, he'll go back into the media, he'll go back into commentary and thus we will invariably be sitting next to him in a commentary box at some point. So it's probably in our professional interests not to go that next level with him. I feel more comfortable with Saywag because the probability of you or I doing Indian television is next to nothing. So that's okay. That's okay. But, but, okay. but Ravi, so Ravi shops himself around a bit more widely. Yep. Yep. Trace a bullet. Um, there's a reason. <laughs> okay. So last, uh, last couple of quick ones here. Michael Edelstein has confirmed that his 880 was indeed... The highest test match score of Natalie Siver, 88 in test cricket. He says, I wonder how long it will be before the latest young Surrey star and star of the 100, Alice Capsey, gets an England call-up. And uh, Michael sent us this just before the Oval Test and said, hopefully we'll see another captivating test in this series. You did, Michael. Only one, but you did see one at the Oval. Yeah, well, England, as of today, have given debuts to, I think, four people this summer. That would suggest they're they're in that kind of mind at the moment, that kind of... So Charlie Dean made her bow this evening. So, yeah, I would say that Capsie, maybe in Pakistan, they might take her to Pakistan. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But, yeah, she might end up in the extended squad for the Ashes if they uh, take a a second team out, which I think is the plan at the moment. So it won't be long. She's definitely going to play for England. And the $3.22 from William Kay that I said was the partnership between Brian Lara and Jimmy Adams. William says, yes, for me, the greatest individual comeback in test history. 194, which was another number that he was trying to get us to guess by asking who Macaulay Culkin would have been if he'd been a test cricketer. 194 is Richie Richardson's highest test score. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin played Richie Rich. Uh, of course. Very good. So, William, thank you. Thank you to everybody who sent in the number. The personal McDonald's, right? Richie Rich. He had his own oh, yeah. personal McDonald's. And as an 11-year-old or whatever it was when that film came out, that was quite attractive to me. I used to think to myself, I could just buy <laughs> chocolate thick shakes every day. Who would have known that you press fast forward 10 years when I was at university and I would buy chocolate thick shakes every day? <laughs> <laughs> and who would have known that you'd fast forward another 15 years and you'd live in the UK it. where you cannot buy a chocolate thick shake ever because the milkshake machine's never working? Right. If you want to send a number, patron.com slash the final word. It helps us make the show. We'd like it very much. You would hopefully enjoy it too. Couple of moments of correspondence and then we're out of here on this long, long bumper comeback 
sort of back to normal proceedings show. The first bit of correspondence is from Evan Granger. Uh, this is a corker. A, a, a reliable and dependable uh, correspondent. And I think, Jeff, when we both read this message, we were, we were flummoxed in the best possible way. A postscript to the 401 or the 40.1 for Roger Woolley. Dad played with Roger for the mighty Clarence District Cricket Club and shot through the podcast link to him. The final word was new to Rog and he was chuffed to get a mention. <laughs> Roger Woolley has listened to our program. He wanted to clarify that David Hooks made a ton in that game, not Dino. Eek. Roger thought it was worth correcting the record because it was a special ton for a special player. As you know, Roger didn't bat in that game. He says it was the longest time he ever spent in pads waiting to bat, about six hours. Hooks and Border batted forever. It was also a far cry from Roger's second and final test, where he found himself batting twice in the space of six hours as a rampant West Indies side absolutely obliterated the Aussies at St John's. Isn't that lovely that Evan has found a way to kind of get that to Roger via his dad and uh, Roger, who, uh, yeah, we were able to tell the story of a, a number of weeks ago now, but... Yeah, it's, it's, just a, it's a pretty cool thing that, uh, I mean, I don't know whether that's been the case for other cricketers who we've uh, told the tale of on Storytime, but I, I'd expect they probably would get quite a bit out of hearing their, their tale told uh, with the benefit of, you know, I suppose uh, a number of decades in this case. More of it, I say. <laughs> Thank you very much, Evan. Uh, it, it, is, it is very pleasing to us to know that Roger got to hear the show. And the last bit from Dom Griffiths, who wrote through to say uh, hello to us. I love Daniel Norcross's idea, says Dom, for test match shirt numbers from the last show. This is the idea that says that the player could have the last two digits of the cap number. So if they're cap 423, they wear 23 on the back of their shirt on the basis that you'd unlikely, you'd, you wouldn't really overlap numbers. It would be unlikely for that to happen. Dom says, it got me thinking if any two players with test caps 100 numbers apart had ever played in the same match. I suspect someone with serious spreadsheets will get the definitive list, but in the meantime, I offer the following. As we're on the tangent of Woolies here, Frank Woolley, cap number 163, played with Eddie Painter, cap number 263, <laughs> in 1932. Graham Gooch, cap 461, played with Mark Illett, cap 561, in three Ashes tests in 1993. But Dom has not dug anything up from long career players like Wilfred Rhodes, Brian Close, uh, George Headley, Tendulkar, Rangana Herath, Imran Khan, none played with their cap buddy. But he says it would not surprise me if England award 14 new test caps before Jimmy Anderson, 613, retires. The next cap will be 700. And the question is, what is the largest gap that two players from the same team have had? That would be some nerd pledge. I'm going to tell you right now it's an England player. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it in my bones, well, but I'm not yeah, sure who it would it, be. It's the right Gooch era, Mark. isn't it? Yeah, I, I like the Gooch, Mark Eilert one, then obviously Frank Woolley had such a long test career. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be an England player from the interwar period is going to be involved in this, I'm sure, because that's when they were dishing out Debuts. There was an expansion of Test cricket, obviously, and they were, they were fielding different sides in different parts of the world at different stages. And yeah, I'd be surprised if it doesn't feature in that bracket. But you know what? You know what I love about Nerd Pledge, Jeff, and what I love about this show and love about our audience mm. on the Discord channel. 
someone is going to do this when they hear this episode go up and they are going to reveal all by the time we record the show next week that's a benefit of joining patron by the way if you join patron you can join our vibrant discord channel uh, where where we and others talk not always not always jeff and i sometimes we're just we're just watching we're just mm-hmm. watching the debate go by <laughs> i tell you what i've been watching the um the bbc show detectorists uh, recently oh, yeah, and great, i watched great great show i watched two full seasons of it before i realized that that was gareth from the office <laughs> i was like hang on a minute hang on a minute yeah just transformed himself yes that's anyway right. mackenzie segway. Crook. no no right you are nice place to leave it i think jeff it's now 20 Two past twelve, uh, so we're we're into the day of the vaccine game. It is the seventeenth of yeah. September where I am. It's been the seventeenth of September where you are for probably uh, the better part of eight or nine hours now. I don't know what the time difference is at this time of year. Why don't you put a full stop on this show and encourage people to uh, tell more people about it? Indeed, uh, please do that if you can. The reviews and ratings and stuff really help. Be part of the show if you want. Patreon.com slash the final word. Huge thanks to DC for editing the program a long one this week. Uh, thanks to the Lord's Tavs for backing in what we do and Brick Lane Brewing Community. Uh, you can find all the details of things in the show notes. There are discounts for things and that you might want. You know, we're doing our best to look after people here. So final word, story time. It's on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. It's made by Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. And we will be back with you in the middle of the week for the flagship TFW weekly program. Oh, it's going to have flags. It's going to have ships. Have a nice weekend. I had to go about it. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.